0: All right, hello. Welcome back to the Key to Success podcast. I'm your host, Terrell Key, and uh, I'm just going to uh, talk to you a little bit you know, uh, while my guest gets the technology issues uh, worked out or whatever. Man, I had a crazy day today. I'm, I'm going to tell you about that while all of that goes on. Um, first off, uh, welcome back to the Key to Success podcast. I am your host, Terrell Key, and I'm back with another episode. My guest will be here in just a second, but uh, well, I got your time. I just kind of want to talk to y'all a little bit, you know, about my day and who I am and things like that. So, um, first off, I want to let you know that I am a sixteen-year educator with tons of experience in education. I mean, man, I have seen it all, and I continue to see it all over and over and over again. I mean, I mean, there is like I'm telling you, like in education, especially like when you're an administrator or a school counselor, like there is never a shortage of experiences. So. Um, let me tell you about me, man. So, you know, I got into education a while ago, and that's kind of how, like, the story, uh, I'm probably going to start the story off today, um, is uh, basically, so today I was having a conversation about a legislative change in Illinois, the change in the requirements for substitute teachers, so I'm a former sub, so, you know, if you don't know me, I, I'm, I'm an administrator now, I'm an assistant principal now, but I started off as a substitute teacher for Columbia Public School District a long, 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 long time ago. So, um, you know, in Missouri, uh, it only requires 60 credit hours to be um, a substitute teacher. So I was having a conversation today about Illinois making the changes and, um, you know, how some people feel like, uh, you know, we're dropping standards and stuff like that, but also how I kind of see it a little bit differently because I know, um, you know, we talk so much about, like, bringing equity uh, to schools and stuff like that and bringing diversity and all of these different things, but I do realize that. Me, my, like myself, I wouldn't have been an educator if it wasn't for my experiences as a substitute teacher. Um, you know, after becoming a substitute teacher, I later became a teacher, a school counselor, a principal, won all these awards and stuff like that. But it started as, as a sub, it started with me, um, going inside of the classrooms and reading stories and, and things like that to children, uh, really just talking to them and building those relations. And I, re- I realized that I loved education, is where I was supposed to be. I thought I'm not gonna even lie to y'all, I man. I thought that I was gonna be a big time CEO. I wrote down like a hundred goals, and like I mean, everything was kind of like pointed towards being a CEO. Ultimately, um, I did. I'm not gonna lie, I did put superintendent as something cool, and I'm gonna tell you about why I wanted to be superintendent. Like, so I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little crazy. I'm a little crazy. So our superintendent um, was at Normandy uh, one day, and <laughs> he was at, he was at Normandy. And uh, he's walking through the building, you know, uh, you know, big time walking through the building. And I kind of seen how people had like a different level of respect for him. Like when he walked through the building, I was looking, I was like, man, who is this dude, man, walking through with the suit on and stuff. Uh, You know, at Normandy, you know, you didn't see too many people in suits, um, you know, just when I was coming up. So he's walking through with the suits. And then like a student asked him for a dollar or whatever. And I mean, he pulled out all of these hundreds and stuff like that. So he had me hooked. When he pulled out those hundreds and stuff like that, like to be a superintendent, I was like, whoa. (laughs) I was like, whoa, like this is what I want to do, man. I want to make the hundreds. So (laughs) I ended up, uh, you know, it was one of the things that kind of sparked my interest in education. Not realizing that later on, I was going to be a broke educator for a long time. I mean, still kind of broke now. But uh, seeing him, like, you know, seeing somebody that looked just like me uh, walking through in a suit and stuff like that kind of sparked it. But, after that one day, I um, like I said, I ended up substitute teaching. I substitute taught for uh, two years for Columbia Public School District. Man, I was playing kickball with the kids. Oh, man. Like, I mean, it was so fun. I, I had so much fun uh, with the kids are at Columbia Public. Even in high school, I kind of functioned like as an aide a lot of times. So I worked in the office with the records one year. Man, it's crazy. Like, I, I literally was always kind of geared towards education. So I had one elective where I was uh, in the office, like, managing records. Like, so I'm in there. Like, back in the day, like, we had to, like, rip off transcripts and stuff like that and then post them. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Having me look through your transcripts was probably not the best idea. Now, I wasn't gossiping about the – I kept it secret. But, man, I was judging a lot of people. I was like, this dude is 21, and how many else does he have And he's still in high school? I was definitely judging people. And then um, my senior year, we had this class called Co-op, and I kind of subbed in the uh, PE room for my old PE teacher, uh, Mr. Huggins. But I, I guess I go a long a long way to, te- like, basically, there's a roundabout way of telling you, like, all of these little experiences, whether it was being a sub or working in the co-op or working in the office, like, they ultimately led uh, to me having a desire to become an educator, you know? Um, I subbed for my old school district, uh, for Normby, But if, uh, you know, with Illinois laws, like the, the former laws, I would have never even had the opportunity. I would have never had the opportunity to sub, never, um, never even had a chance, never had a chance. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So, you know, that that was just an interesting conversation to start my day. You know, I was just thinking about that, like, man, like, you know, without that shot at 60 credit hours, I wouldn't have had a shot. What I, and and it was so neat was I actually, um, set my day up to be, um, to be like for like college, like set my schedule up to actually be a sub. So I did tuesdays and thursdays for my classes and then monday wednesdays and fridays i'll substitute teaching now the benefit of doing mondays and fridays was i always had a premier job in the in the uh in the district uh to 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 work because you know teachers <laughs> teachers do miss on mondays and fridays you know i ain't, I ain't gonna lie to you they <laughs> they be missing on mondays and fridays so, I was able to do like PE and stuff, or um, sometimes I would ch- choose like the, the younger grades. And I would, I mean, I, I used to love story time, uh, just sitting there and reading the stories and like making faces. And like, you know, you sit in like the rocking chair. I mean, like, you know, I'm in high school. I work in high schools now. I worked in high schools for like the last 16 years. So, I don't really get those moments as much, uh, like the story time moments and have the kids like kind of sitting crisscross applesauce. And me rocking back and forth, telling stories, it was just a great time. I mean, even like subbing in like the kindergarten and stuff like that, just seeing the little kids, that was great stuff. Um, and even going back to my old district and reading the kids, and it, it was just different. It was just a different experience and I'm, and I'm very fortunate for it because it literally set the foundation for, um, for who I am now and, you know, kind of what I have going on. So, yeah, so that, that's that. And then after that, you know, of course, I became a school counselor. And, uh, you know, I mean, just, just so many different uh, experiences. And now I'm a principal and, you know, won a bunch of awards. But anyway, so while my guest is uh, going, I'm, you know, what, I'm going to kick this off myself. man, because You know, I know a little bit about producing equity uh, in schools. Like, so I'm also like, you know, a member of ASCA's Diversity and Equity Committee. Uh, so the American School Counselor uh, Association Diversity and Equity Committee. I'm on our chaos. Diversity and Equity uh, Committee, and kind of did some work, man, to to help uh, produce equity for all of our students and things like that. So, I, you know, uh, oh, here she is, she's back. Okay, here we go. Now we got an award-winning author. We got an award-winning educator. Uh, educator, we got Hedrick Nichols right here in the house. So, man, everybody, <laughs> give a warm round of applause for Hedrick.
1: Oh, I got a foghorn. Oh, what
0: are you doing?
1: I got a foghorn. <laughs>
0: How are you doing today, Hedrick? I hope you had a great day.
1: I, I You know what? It was an interesting day. It kind of threw me off my game. I must admit we had a lockdown today. Uh-oh. And so as that is, it always kind of sets everyone's teeth on edge because we remember that, you know, it does not have to end well. But things ended well today, and I am here.
0: <laughs> right. And so uh, you're in CPS, right? No. What uh, school uh, district are you in?
1: Do you know Uplift Charter in North Texas?
0: Oh, you're in Texas. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. Cause I, cause I knew that you knew Charles or whatever. And Charles spoke so highly of you. So right. Yeah. You know. Yes.
1: Yes. No, he's, a, uh, he's up there. I got, but I got to cut, you know, my my little network is, is, is we're close. Okay. You
0: have a huge network then. I mean, you all over, all over the country then. I kind of
1: am. I kind of am. All I love over. It. I no, I love tell
0: partner. the audience more about you. Tell them who you are, where you have been and where you're going
1: okay so I am Hedrick Nichols and I am an author an educator a mom a godmom to a fur baby and I um, love education I love educational change I love educational advocacy I love working to make sure that all students are heard and all students have what they need and 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 that that can never be that's never gonna happen it's not you can't yeah but you can go, you can get pretty close and so that's really what I'm all about and and uh, equity is my jam and so I'm always um, researching and writing books to help people create more equitable classroom and campus spaces
0: so tell us a little bit about the books that you've written we want we want to hear about that too tell us about uh like the books okay you know, so there are- we, want, we want you to brag
1: Okay, so there are five um, for children, for middle grades and they are all books written about Black history. So there's one on excellence in STEM. There's one that talks about uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter and how what is that exactly? What is anti-racism? Because those are words that in a lot of parts of the country you hear, but you don't really have context for them. So it kind of breaks everything down and explains them. I've actually even done book studies on those with teachers because it really just kind of breaks everything down and um gives people a safe place to discuss those things that are often divisive and make people throw walls up um, there's also one about the harlem renaissance and other areas of black wealth everybody knows tulsa but we don't necessarily know um we don't necessarily know what other places that Tulsa's not an anomaly That because of Jim Crow laws, the laws that were basically apartheid laws, um, people did not, you couldn't go as a black person into a bank and get a loan and buy a house. So we had to build up our own areas and centers of wealth. And so there was one in Atlanta, there's one in California, there were just many towns that were very much like Tulsa. And so one is about that. That's You can might tell that that's kind of one of my favorite ones. And then most recently, I released with Solution Tree a book called Finding Your Blind Spots. You can probably see it in the background down there. And Finding Your Blind Spots is a a how-to book with actual you know we get into Let's have conversations on race and conversations are good, but you have to make some decisions and 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 have an action plan. So this is a a great book because it allows you to reflect on some things and then also to actually have action steps for you, for your family, for your classroom, for your parents, for your staff. So it really kind of covers all the bases. And the thing I love about Blind Spots is everybody who's read it has said, I love, I feel like I can, uh, I can approach this work because I don't feel like I've been, um, I don't feel like I've been uh, attacked. And sometimes the words that we use, oh, I guess you woke, oh, you're a racist. Those words keep us separate and keep us throwing walls up and unable to hear one another. And so the tone of the book is really there so that because at the core of any of those things that we talk about, we talk about equity, we talk about diversity, inclusion, and equity, and anti-racist work. All of those things have to do with how we other. Mm-hmm. You know, we we every human others a baby loves mama, and everybody else get away stranger danger. So when we talk about cognitive biases, we all have them, and they keep us from having to make a gazillion more decisions that we do. You know, cognitive bias is, um, for example, halo bias. If I like you, I probably believe what you say. If I don't like you, I probably don't believe what you say. And you you find those kinds of things if you were the jock and you might not have liked the nerd kids and you might have a hard time building relationships with those nerd kids in your class as a teacher. So similarly, if you were the science fair winner and there, were all, there was always some big jock Who's, you know popping you on the back of your neck and thought it was funny if you are suddenly now in a social studies class where a coach is teaching you you may have a hard time building relationships with them. so cognitive bias means that when I see a four-legged creature I can tell if it's a toddler or a bear mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have to have those kinds of our brain has to be able to sort some things on automatic but when those things get out of control then we we tend to we tend to believe that people are, what we think of them in our head, as opposed to being able to meet people where they are. And so Finding Your Blind Spots really talks about how we other, how we um, separate our us's from our them's, and gives us an opportunity to correct that in a way that makes us better human beings, which of course makes us better educators.
0: Yeah. And um, also, you have a podcast too.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Yeah,
0: I can kind of tell, you know, I can kind of tell that you, you you know what you're doing. So... Tell us a little bit about Small Bites, too.
1: Okay, so Small Bites, this, again, when you talk about, oh, we've got equity work to do and we've got to do better, and all of those things sound so big. And when you talk, what was the, what was the popular phrase? Dismantling um, racist systems and structures that adversely affect marginalized populations. That's a whole lot of words right there. So the question is, how do I dismantle? I was teaching, I was helping on campus today and I was teaching a little boy about linking verbs versus action verbs. Dismantle is an action verb. I can dismantle a bike. I can dismantle my computer screen. I can dismantle my telephone. I can drop it on the floor and let it dismantle itself. But how do I dismantle systems? And so I really like to talk about small bites and that's where it came from. How do you eat an equity elephant? One small bite at a time. And um, I don't know if you know author uh, Barbara Bray, she's out on the West Coast. She, I, I said that to her, she's like, oh my God, I love that. Mm-hmm. And that's when I actually defined the small bites. It's work I've been doing, but I really focused in on we can do this. We just have to do it one small bite at a time. If all you're going to do is buy a colors of the world thing, that's one thing that's, I don't know if you know this, but I don't have them, but Crayola has colors of the world because a flesh color is not peach. That is one flesh colored color. And so they if you have just that, that already opens up some, Opportunity to talk about how diverse we are and how how many different kinds of people and shades of people there are uh, all over the world, and those are kind of kind of conversations you want to have with kindergartners, especially yeah. if you are in a homogenous setting, because when you grow up in a bubble, you don't know that there are other people. I lived in Switzerland, and, and the little girl used to call me Bruni Frau, Brown Lady,
0: <laughs> because she had
1: okay. never seen brown people. But here in America, the likelihood that you will see people who don't look like you is big once you get out of your your maybe your school bubble or your church bubble or your neighborhood bubble. And so we want to expose kids to those differences so that they won't dare or feel uncomfortable or be caught unawares.
0: Right. Yeah, I totally agree with the small bites concept, too, because I'm a person that believes in trying to get one percent better at a time literally like so many people like they come in like with theories right like these big broad theories and they, they think that you could just implement it right away but you know as an administrator you know like i realized man like there's a this thing that we like to call force field theory like in um and like you know these administrator programs There's always pushback basically like whenever you're trying to implement something so you're not going to be able to bring in just broad sweep and changes all the time. Now you might get it through sometimes, but you might not have the type of buy-in that you need to make it actually work. So sometimes the best approach is like doing it in small bites, you know, and working towards exactly what you want. Uh, so I totally, I'm in line with it, and I, I can't, I can't wait to to uh, listen to your podcast at the gym. I love listening to podcasts at the gym, so I'm definitely okay. going to check that out have to check you out. So let's get into it. Uh, Hedrick, let's get into it. So what is the first thing that uh, people need to know about uh, producing equity for all students?
1: Um, start with yourself. That's the first point. It, it does not have to do with the students and what your students need. It really has to do with how you view your students. You know, a lot of times when you apply for a teaching job, it says, I believe you have to take one of those personality tests. And one of those common questions is, I believe that all students can learn. And we all check yes, because we know that's what we have to believe. But what are our beliefs really? You know, when you look into your classroom, do you see a kid? Oh, honey, he's that's not going to be or. Oh, no, she's going to need to. Especially if you've been teaching for a minute, you tend to already kind of put kids in boxes at the beginning. So the the first thing you want to do when you want to to really create an equitable space for for all learners is to think about how you think about others. Pay attention. I always tell, especially if you are. uh, Think about who you did not like in middle school or who did not like you in middle school and look and see. If those kids, if those prototypes are in your classroom and then notice if you have a hard time dealing with them, you know, if you were uh, in conflict with like, again, the jock nerd thing, if you were in conflict, conflict with a certain kind of a person, a jock, a nerd, and I'm using those as archetypes. But if you had an issue with the mean girls. What do you do? Are you likely to believe them, to not believe the mean girls and believe the quiet girl who could be just as mean, just she's just quiet about it? So think about how you other people, think about who you other in your family. You know, a lot of times we have, oh, the black sheep of the family. Oh, you know, uncle so-and-so or, you know, well, you know, Janet, honey, she's our, she's my sister, but well, how do we other? When you say that kind of a thing that is your sister's other. She's a little different from you, yeah, di- So how do you how do you separate your us's from your them's? Who's in your close circle and who's not? And how can you change the way you think about the people who are not in your circle?
0: Yeah. And I, I have a question, though. Like, so it's sort of like this. You know, I I went to the doctor this morning or whatever. So I'm going to draw this uh like this to that. Like cause I just have a question for you. So, like, you know, when you go to the doctor, like, you're able to go in, you tell them exactly what's wrong. You know, I was, I was healthy. But, like, you know, you go to the doctor and you tell them, you know, what's wrong with you or her, him or her, or they, you know, you know, you tell them exactly, you know, like, what's wrong with you. And you're honest, you're upfront, you tell them what's going on. But, like, when it comes to, like, equity and when it comes to, like, bias, a lot of times people are afraid to, um, to tell exactly where they are. Like, there's no one to really talk to because if you talk about it, you know, like that you could get canceled, like you could get in, you could get into serious trouble, especially as an educator, if you did have feelings that are uh, contradictory. So like, even like when you're talking about the question, like, you know, we do, you believe all students can learn, you're going to automatically check that because you have no choice, whether you believe it or not. And like, the thing is like, even if you don't, does it necessarily mean that you're a bad educator? Is there somewhere that we could work? You know, like if you're being honest, can we work? towards you actually believing that, um, you know, or getting closer to believing that. Because I, I believe a lot of us as educators, we're being dishonest. Like we all have biases, but none of us could be honest about it. None of us could really tell the truth about our biases for fear of retribution. How can we get to a place where we're able to actually be honest and have conversations, tell the truth about where we are and grow together.
1: That's a huge, that's a huge problem. Um, I don't You remember, know if you remember, probably about six months ago, there was a teacher, I believe she was in California, and she was teaching, um, she was teaching math, I can't remember what, and she taught them so, Tua, uh, or I don't, I you know, I barely got out of algebra, so don't ask me. But she used, she put on an Indian uh, headdress and put, uh, banged the drum, and she was watching around the classroom and the teaching community vilified her. I looked at her and I said, ooh, not a good look, but I saw a teacher who was really just trying to, you know, cut the fool in that way that you do when you you know, your kids are, are, are mm-hmm. disengaged and you're just trying to get them. I saw that. And yes, it was a misstep and it was cultural appropriation. It was all, it wasn't good, but we all live in the same society where we have been fed not exactly the truth. I'll be mm-hmm. And so not only do we all have bias, we've all, we've all experienced miseducation. You know, we still, most people, if you are over, 35, you still think of the pilgrims and the Indians and Thanksgiving. Even if you know you have a second thought that comes right on top of that thought, you still have that first thought. And that's because that's what you were taught for years. And so we have to get to a place where we can be just more human with each other, period. One thing that I say to stop doing is stop hanging on Facebook and hanging on, on the news. The news cycle, we don't have enough news for 24-hour news cycle. And so if you are watching something and scrolling and getting mad because the other side did ABC, stop doing that. And that will go a long way toward building empathy for, quote, unquote, the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, building empathy is something that that is it's really a, the only way that we'll get to a place where we can talk about where we really are, is to be able to create a safe space by just, I'm not, I'm not gonna judge you. You know, not just saying no judgment, but like literally allow there to be no judgment. You know, I have friends um who are at different points in the in the journey. And one of the, one friend of mine, I love talking to her because we can have honest conversations. She said, you know, and she said. With my with my son, actually, on the patio, we were talking about these kinds of issues and she was saying, but I mean, honestly, if I saw a a black guy and I was on the street at night, I would definitely pull my purse closer. And I was able to say, I understand that. Tell me, why would you why would you do that? And we, we both came to the agreement that we have all been fed media that typically shows black and brown kids or historically has shown black and brown kids and black and brown men in particular as dangerous. And that's that couldn't have happened if we hadn't had if she hadn't felt comfortable enough with me to say I would pull my purse closer.
0: Yeah. And, I you know, and just kind of jumping in here, like, you know. I, you know, I, I see where she's coming. And the thing is, like, no matter what people say, like, we are all, all, like, going to stereotype at some point. Like, no, there's it, nothing you could do about it because our, like, we're genetically wired to stereotype, like, to figure out if we're safe or we're not. Now, if this, if, if, you know, and, I, and, and I'm not saying, like, man, this is, oh, man, I don't know. I, I, forget it, I'm going to say it. I'm going to be honest. All right. So, like, if the guy had on a suit, you know what I mean? Like, you know. Who versus hoodie. Personally, I'm like, okay, he's handling business, you know. But like, man, I mean, if you got your hood all the way down and you sagging, man, I might be, I might be want to go across the street too. Saw, it's it not me being racist. You could be white and dress like that. You could be Hispanic and dress like that. It's what you have on. Like, it's sort of like if you have on a the uniform of somebody that might do harm to me, then I might, I might in my head, like at least for a fraction of a second, I'm going to think it because that is the way that we are genetically wired. Like, you know, and it's just, it's tough like to, man, you know, like to even have these conversations because you wonder if you say the wrong thing. It's like a landmine.
1: You know, we so I know. Now, like, I'm
0: Like, man, I don't even know if I can say this, but I'm just going to say it
1: i was just gonna say i mean it's honestly if you had to choose between the guy in the hoodie and the guy in the suit who you gonna buy insurance from let's and that's not or
0: even in an interview like it doesn't even have to be about danger if you come in and you're like you you have on you're dirty and you have on shorts versus the guy in the suit and you're coming in for a principal interview i can't help it i'm gonna listen more you know and, and that's the thing that i, I, I think is it's hard, like today, like because people want to be, you know, and they should be able to do whatever. But you have to understand that people are genetically wired to do, a, you know, a certain thing. If you so are on you...
1: TikTok, if you are on TikTok and on those threads where you say, "Well, it doesn't matter as long as they can do their do their job well." Please listen to what we're talking about, because I know yeah, especially I'm trying to their- tell you
0: the truth, man. Like, I'm sorry, man. Like, there's, there's certain things that that if you do, then I'm gonna assume something, you know. And I and I, I know, like maybe maybe I'm wrong, but, like, if you're doing certain things, man, like, like my first initial, like, re- response is going to be to to categorize you. I mean, even, like, in, in dating, like, you categorize people when you see there's nothing you could do about that. Like, everyone does it. Like, girls might see a guy and they'll be like, oh, that guy's attractive, that guy's not, this guy's short, this guy's tall. Like, that's what people do, you know what I mean? So it, I just wonder, like, whenever we could get, like, if you think that there's a way like that, we could actually hit that point in life where like we could just be, you know, do this. That's
1: literally, That's one of the things I teach when I do workshops. Mm-hmm. Pay attention for a couple of days to how many times you make a value statement.
0: Like, right. for example,
1: when you scroll, do you have to like or dislike? You know what I mean? We think about, you know, we say no judgment, but we judge hundreds of times a day. I was I had a, a a pink suit on a hot pink suit and I love wearing it because everybody absolutely oh my god I love your outfit you know so what are they thinking when I don't wear it oh why she have why she have one up <laughs> yeah we do but we do it automatically we see oh cute shoes oh I like her hair oh I don't like that oh she changed her hair I didn't like it like that oh why are those pants so tight we do it automatically and so if we Begin Again, that's why I say all of those things, all of these steps about creating, creating spaces that are inclusive, they begin with us. Because once we do that, we can ask our kids the same kind of thing. You know what I mean? Look around, guys. How many times did you look at everybody's shoes or, and, and make a judgment about them? Why do we do that? Is it not easier to just let people be who they are, how they are, wear what they want? Why do we feel the need to value or devalue everything? And those are the kind of conversations we need to start having first with ourselves and then in our in our community circles, whether it's school, whether it's our families. You know, we don't we don't have to judge everything, but we do.
0: Right. Yeah. I just just think it's like, you know, and I, I think that we can like we could eventually work there. And I think that comes like with learning, like learning more about the situation, learning, gathering more information. But, man, like, initial reactions are just something else. And, I mean, it, it would be totally disingenuous if I told you, like, even on thumbnails. Like, I try to pick, you know, like, I'm working on my, my thumbnails are bad. Like, you know, like, I'm working on it. They're getting better, but I'm working on it. But people are making a judgment. You know, like, they're stereotyping my entire show or the episode because they see that, you know, and there's nothing that anyone can do about it because, like, we scroll and we're making quick decisions like that. And, you know, whether or not this is going to be good, whether it's not this is going to be boring um people like for the first 30 seconds of a show they listen to it and decide whether or not they want to stay you know and it could have the best information in the world later on but they're making snap decisions and it's the same thing that's happening every day in society so
1: mm-hmm. and we yeah. have we we know it and we you have to swim upstream it's like it's easier to go through mcdonald's drive through than it is to go home get good fresh food and go home and cook at the end of a work day but at some point you have to see okay what are the consequences of this behavior right and we all scroll every day i've really gotten i've gotten the ha- gotten gotten out of the habit of liking or commenting on everything that i see i just stopped mm-hmm. because i don't have to have an opinion on everything and training myself not to judge everything is freeing it's peaceful there's so much that comes with that and it allows me to run up against people who i think they might have really very diverse um, ideas about things, but I can just, I can listen. Mm -hmm. I've trained myself to, especially if someone's saying something that I don't agree with to listen more than I talk.
0: That's a really good thing to do. I mean, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I cleared out my entire algorithm. Like, I mean, you might not find a thing that's not education related on my algorithm. I literally just watched everything. Like it's either education or sports. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah uh, mine is uh like I, I got rid mean? of the
0: news like the news had to go like I'm sorry like it it was it was just too divisive like literally everything was all the way this way, all the way that way, no real communication happening. I can't exist in that world like i'm a i am i am a person that believes in making a difference, making progress, working together, and stuff like that I just can't get with it
1: and that's um, what we say when we talk about the other side this is and this is so big. This is America. This ain't that cowboys and the Steelers.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: this is not football. It's not your arch rival. The only thing that happens is when we see Republicans and Democrats as two sides. The only thing that's gonna happen is we gonna get to civil war again. I do not know how we can keep going further and further and further away. We have to look for the places that we
0: where we are similar, or
1: where we can learn to compromise. Because everything else is is like sudden death overtime. We out.
0: Yeah, I was just talking to my doctor about that. That's another conversation. We were talking about that today, like how far we are divided. And like that's that, that kind of gets to the part like where like when we're talking about equity for students, if everyone's on like opposite sides and we're working inside of a school community, guess what? Probably 50%, whether well, they admit it or not, they're gonna be on one side. The other 50% is on that side. So guess who's in the middle? The students. So like mm-hmm. the, the only people that stand to lose out are the kids in the middle. And I, you know, so I don't know what
1: was no, so- you just said it clear the news out of your feed you don't need to read go and read the headlines choose what you want to read but you don't need to read because most of it's commentary anyway and it's commentary that will likely make you angry and so clear the news out of your feed is one of the things spend less time on social media honestly Tucker, rachel i know people love them but that's it's divisive as much as they are good at what they do if you, if you spend time listening to those kinds of news commentaries, you can't do anything but upset yourself and be mad at the other side. And right. once you come back to school, that means you're going to be mad at colleagues and you're going to be mad at kids' parents, which means you're going to be mad at them. And you cannot create equitable spaces. So the, the first thing you can do is literally just dial down how much news you consume if you are into in the morning it's 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 the first the first, whatever's up first and then right after that you listen to somebody's commentary and then at, at lunchtime when you go in you, you ha- just stop just yeah. Clear your feed. My, feed my my instagram feed is puppy videos and bachata there you go my Twitter, and you
0: got to be happy with it. It is. Yeah, I'm not my unit's been happy
1: with that. dancing the Latin music.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: and my Twitter is 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 um is is educational. Period.
0: Hundred percent. Hundred percent educational.
1: I really hang out there because people tend to really engage in divisive banter, and I'm just 2016 broke me in Facebook. We broke up.
0: Yep. Same. I did too. I literally let it go. Um, I, I'm on it only for the purposes of sharing my videos. For real, like it's destroy business. Uh, sorry, like what? I kind of got. We kind of got off on the. T- what, what's the second point?
1: <laughs> well, listen, we we just named two of them. Pay attention yeah. to how you other. That's the that's the big one. How you personally separate pieces of people into us's and them's. Your okay. student, you you might have a student you love because it's just like they're just like you, or you can't stand them because they're just like you, but. Pay attention to how you other. Pay attention to I'm going to say this one. Pay attention to which one of your kids you really really like. Yep. And then see what it is about them you like, and what it is about the other one that might get on your nerves a lot, and find out. Those are the kinds of things that you need to know about yourself because that will change how you relate to your how you relate to your kids and how you're more intentional about building relationships. my thing was mean girls i really always had a thing with mean girls and i began once i began to intentionally build relationships with them because i realized it was because what happened to me in eighth grade back in the day (laughs) it changed my relationships um also dial back on your media dial back there is literally no reason for you to be on watching stuff that makes you mad that's not healthy so those are two points Um, My third point is to make sure that your classroom environment is inclusive. And this is especially if you have um, a a homogenous environment. Generally, I find that teachers who teach diverse kids these days are pretty good at making. I was in a classroom today. I loved her board. It had little hands on it. And the hands were all different shades of, of from pink to dark ebony, they're just all, all different shades. And so people are more aware of that these days. If you are not, then think about ways that you can bring diverse books in. Uh, we Need Diverse Books, uh, it's called uh, diversebooks.org, I believe is the email, I mean, is the um, web address. But if you Google We Need Diverse Books, they'll pop right up. And find out what kinds of books there are that have different kinds of protagonists with different kinds of stories. Um, the books that I wrote for kids, I wrote with uh, Sleeping Bear Press. And they have every year an Our Story kind of contest where they focus on making sure that there's diverse literature. So look for some diverse literature. Look for those crayons. Um, find out who your kids are. For example, in Texas, we're six upwards of 60 percent Hispanic in public schools. Well, what is Hispanic? Let's let's find out. My kids are from El Salvador. and My kids are from Cuba. My kids are from Mexico. My kids are from Puerto Rico. The, my kids are from Guatemala. All of them have very different cultural backgrounds. You know, it's like Americans are black and Jamaicans are black, but we have different cultural backgrounds. So. Find out who your students are, find out who their grandparents and their great grandparents were and make it a thing because there really isn't any such thing as white. So where do they come from in Europe? Where are their origins from? And then we can really just talk about accepting diversity in our classrooms in all kinds of ways.
0: Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And just thinking about like other and like, you know, even outside of race, you know, like like mm-hmm. you were saying, it's like Mean girls It's how people look. Um, like you know some people might appear more attractive to someone so they get treated differently I mean there's there's, some people might not or I mean there's all these different ways that we other and categorize people Mm -hmm. Um, I also like the idea of like looking at who you like and then start to really explore like why you like that student or like why you want to hire that employee and really digging into that, like you know like whatever it is like I think that's really really good information too so that's and just,
1: administrators always have like a core group of teachers that they consider them more kind of friends, or you know that these are my people. Why are they your people? And who are the people who are not your people? What is it that has not made you gravitate toward them? So not just you know with students, with parents, with your kids, with your your coworkers, all of those things. If you notice that, that's huge.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really good stuff. Really, uh, really, it's really something that we should definitely explore, um, for real. Like, I think all of us as administrators, seriously, like, it's being leaders, like, I think it's really important that we're aware of our blind spots, like you were talking about, like, just being um, better aware of our blind spots. What would be the next thing that we need to take a look at?
1: You know, this one's <sighs> – this one kind of sounds like it's a no-brainer, but it's really not. Who are who are you in your classroom? Who are you? Who do people see you as? Who are you as the administrator? You are the administrator. You are the teacher. But who are you for real? Are you a, who were you in high school? You know, were you the quiet girl? Were you the shy guy? Were you the popular kid? Because going back, like I said, go back to who you were in middle school. And it will also give you clues to find out who you gravitate toward and who you tend to pull a, pull, pull a bit away from, or maybe just leave on, on neutral. I'll say it like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Tot- totally agree. I mean, that's a really, really fair point. Seriously. Like, like who do we gravitate to? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm trying it's to think about
1: both sides. It's like, who, why do I gravitate to you? And was it, what is it in me that who am I? That, why why is it that that I'm appealing to you as well? You know what I mean? You want to look at it from outside yourself and from yourself.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, like, even, like, when I guess, like, when we get, I'm just thinking about, like, the different ways, like, when we get jobs or, like, when we get teacher affection and things like that, like, sometimes you might just think that it's well-earned and things like that, but it might be other reasons, too, like, why people are giving you so, so many different things, too. I mean, I guess, you know, that's, that's interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm trying to think about myself too in here, like you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like my experiences and wondering, I guess, if I got any, uh, you know, privilege or anything. Just I don't know why, you don't know. <laughs>
1: I mean, I say this all the time that um, male educators and black male educators, there's a privilege in that because oh, sure. so often the the voices that the, that our kids hear or are ours are are, are the voices of women. And so we're glad to have some guys on campus. It's always, a, you know, oh, they're not gonna ever get fired.
0: What are the fine? It's not many of us at all, at all. Like seriously. It's so black and then whether it's an administration or especially elementary teachers, I only had one. I mean, he was the best, uh, best uh, teacher I ever had. I mean, he was incredible, uh, just so thorough. But I only had, only had one. I yeah. think probably in all of my education I might have only had three black male teachers.
1: See and that's 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 um, if you look at the statistics I tweeted a while ago um, I was on a campus and they have a, they have so many black male educators and they, they you know guys engage with kids differently than women and just watching the energy it's like they were superstars with the little boys oh it's so it's so so. And I, I I saw him, he actually picked up a kid and held him up, a little pre-K kid, and t- a, a female teacher go, oh, my God, put him down. You want to to put him down. And, but that's how guys, guys interact different, if I may be biased and say, you know, put everybody in one thing. I just see that it's a different energy, and I love the way guy, the, the, the boys react to them. And, again, often we have, you know, divorce is one of 50%, and I think, what, 70% of black females are heading their households now. Mm -hmm. So having males, if you are an administrator and you are looking to diversify your staff, start with men of color, especially if you serve minority populations. It makes a difference if they have a teacher by third grade. It makes a difference in how many of them finish high school. There's some amazing studies out there. So that's a great way to, to, to diversify your staff, to actively seek out male educators.
0: Yeah, I think almost everyone and uh, so my teacher's name was Mr. McGowan. He was incredible. Kendall McGowan. I like, used to listen to earth, wind and fire every day in class. Like, I mean, I think all of us, maybe except for maybe one person in my sixth grade class, all of us graduated from high school and the majority of us graduated from college. And I went to like a ninety nine point nine percent black school that was you, know, was, you know, allegedly rough. I mean, but like but with having him. And, like, how stern he was with us, like, you know, early on, like, up front. Like, we were, we, I'm not going to lie, we were terrified. Like, he would jump on a, uh, the desk with his uh, yardstick. Like, I mean, like, he, he was literally like uh, like uh, Joe Clark from uh, Lean on Me, like, seriously. And he later became a principal or something like that. So, we were terrified. Like, we knew that we had to have our homework done. Like, we didn't have our homework done. when I mean, We had to go to the front of the class and explain to the class why we didn't have our homework. So we had to tell our class, like, "Hey, man, you know, I know all of y'all did y'all definitions, but me, I couldn't, I couldn't do it because, I mean, so no one wanted to do that. Like, we all, I mean, I, I sat there. I promise you, man, with, uh, with dictionaries. If I didn't, I couldn't find a dictionary. I'm looking through encyclopedias. We didn't have the internet back then. Right? One of the first thing is the internet. I'm sitting there and I did all. I'm, I'm doing front, front and back page, nothing but definitions. Because, uh, you know, how stern he was. But, like, the thing is, he had no – like, there was no room for excuses for getting things done or not. There was literally no room at all. Like, you know, like, you're going to get up in front of the class and have to explain this. Or you could just do what I told you to do. So I, I chose to do what he said. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I still remember the way he taught us to do definitions. I mean, I write checks the way that he taught, taught us to write checks. And keep in on, this is in sixth grade. Right.
1: Like, right. everything
0: that he taught, like, it stuck. It sticks with me to this day. So if he's out there watching, you know, if he sees us ever, I just want to tell him thank you. Like, he was incredible.
1: Ah, uh, see? Yeah. And that's, I think that's why we all do it.
0: Yep. So what would be the fifth? Did we do the fifth thing already? What would be the fifth thing?
1: My last thing is to um, let me see. I want to phrase this kindly. Let your kids be who they are. Um, The children that you are raising with your set of values and your set of mores, those are at your house if you have children. But to impose your values or what you've grown up with on children and on families who may not look like yours is detrimental. Kids from the LGBTQ community have uh, an outrageous, the the statistics on suicide and on self-harm and on mental health issues in that community is not anything that I wanna be responsible for as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I know I live here in the South and, you know, evangelical Christianity, we have a lot of teachers who come from, from those factions. And I am simply saying that, and I'll, I'll use a scripture actually, love is the fulfilling of the law. And if that is the case, then your job is to love your kids, support your kids, and make sure they fare as well as they can. Make sure that they, they, that, you know, that they're talking about that, that they're talking about you, like you were just talking about your teacher. And anything short of that is doing a disservice to kids. And so, you know, I, I talk to a lot of teachers, and they struggle with ah these pronouns or ah this, ah, you know, I don't know this all, all that, you know those things don't matter those are your thoughts your mores and you support your kids you know if my if my kid I've, and i've had this happen i've had a kid who can't who was identifying as a boy for a while and then identifying as a girl what you want me to call you baby okay it's not you know it's 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 not my journey and as a teacher, I have to support them so so that they can learn and find out who it is they're gonna be and do the best they can to be a great human being. And that that will not happen if, um, I know there was an incidence of a school putting out a student because she had two mommies. Mm. And that kind of stuff, there's, it's, that's not that's not what you're called to do, you know? You raise your kids at home and you love up on your kids the best you can all of them, whether you agree with their choices or not, because, again, you don't want to be a stumbling stone for somebody who um, doesn't feel acceptance. And now they feel your disdain. And so they're going to run away from home or not come to school or drop out or hurt themselves. Those are things we can avoid.
0: Yeah, T- totally, totally agree. And like the thing is, sorry, my camera, my camera's having issues right now. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Let me see if I could fix it. But uh, yeah, so I, I totally agree because the thing is like kids, especially like from different uh, backgrounds, like especially like in the trans community and stuff like that. Like the the rates of uh, you know, I can't say it, but self term like self deletion um completion or whatever. Why am I not showing? I can see myself down here. I can see you. You can see me. I, I can't can see, see you. me. Okay. okay well, cool. I can see you. Yeah. So, um, so like the people like it, it's, it's, it's higher, so much higher. It's just not worth even like putting like your ideology on them. Like you have to support these kids and everything. So yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with my camera right now. I'm so sorry. Like I know, I know you can see me. So yeah. I'm just going to keep rolling. Um, uh, so I guess, uh, the next question would be, uh, Hedrick, where can we, where can we find out more about you? Um, so like, you know, if people want to learn more from you,
1: uh, well, the neat thing is with a name like Hedrick, you can find me under Hedrick. So H-E-D-R-E-I-C-H, Hedrick.com, Hedrick on uh, Instagram, Hedrick on Twitter, Hedrick on LinkedIn, Hedrick on YouTube, Hedrick on Anchor. <laughs> so I am pretty easy to find.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, like and she's everywhere and I mean, like and she has great content. So please, everyone, like check her out on all of those different platforms. Make sure that you um, that you subscribe to, like, our, our Small Bites podcast. Read her books. She has books. You said five books now?
1: Five for kids, one for adults.
0: Yeah, man, read those books and everything and, um, and, and continue to engage with Hedrick, support Hedrick. Um, also, like, comment, and subscribe to my channel. Check out the merchandise. Share the episode if you enjoyed it. And uh, with that, I'll talk to you all next time. Peace.